For the past few months, we've been in a teaching series in what's called the Book of Exodus. As we settle along, it's a book about a holy and a good God who reaches down into the lives of his people and rescues them out of slavery in Egypt into a life with him. And up to this point, in the story of Exodus, we've reached the second half of the book. And in this part of Exodus, God has been teaching his people about what it looks like to love him and love one another. He's been teaching them about how to be a a community of love and justice in the world that shines the light of God into a dark world. That's kind of been the trajectory over the last four or five chapters in Exodus. But starting today in Exodus 25, the focus shifts from God's teaching to God's tabernacle, this meeting place that God is going to ask his people to build for him. And the question is, as we come to Exodus 25 together today is, what is this meeting place and why does God ask his people to build it? Well, let's look together at Exodus 25. We're actually going to pick it up just before Exodus 25 and Exodus 24. And we're going to start reading in verse 12. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Exodus 24 locates us on a mountain. Moses is there with God and he is in the presence of God. And this is a moment of transition in the story. God has just finished giving his people authoritative teaching called the Ten Commandments to guide them in knowing how to love him and love one another. But then after doing that, God calls out to Moses and says, come and be with me. Now just imagine that there's this cloud symbolizing the presence and person of God that just comes and settles on the mountain. For the Israelites in the camp at the base of the mountain, they look and they see this raging fire from the bottom of the mountain. It's settled on top of this mountain. The glory of God is there. His beauty, his power, his greatness, it's all there for his people to see. And then his voice thunders out of that place and says, Moses, come up here and stay with me. And then Moses goes. He gets to go and spend time in the holy and awesome presence of God, face to face with the one who splits the seas, the one who makes bread rain down from heaven, the one who makes water come from rocks. This is the encounter that Moses is having as we look at Exodus. It's an amazing thing to behold. And Exodus tells us that there's two reasons that God invites Moses up onto the mountain. The first is he wants to give them a written copy of the Ten Commandments, that God has inscribed the Ten Commandments that he gave his people in chapter 20 on stone tablets. And he wants to give those to Moses. And as we're going to see, he wants to give Moses the blueprints to build a meeting place that's called the tabernacle. Now, before we get there, though, I want to pause so that we can reflect a little bit on why this moment is so significant and why we are actually starting here before getting to Exodus 25. See, when Moses goes up to be with God, he's actually going to the place that you and I were created for. 
See, we weren't created to be separate and to live apart from God. We were actually created to be near him and to enjoy his presence. From the very first pages of the Bible in a book called Genesis, we see this play out. There, God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and he says it is good. And at the heart of that creation was humans, people who bear his image, people who inherently have dignity and worth and purpose because of being made in the likeness of God. People who are called to join God in his purpose to shape the world and to extend Eden to every corner of the globe. Out of all that God created in the creation account, humans were the pinnacle. And God looked at them and he said, very good. They were the pinnacle of his creative activity. And because of that, they got to enjoy a special relationship with him. And Genesis tells us that before sin entered the world and before it fractured the human relationship with God, before it fractured the human heart and all of creation, the good world that God created, the first humans called Adam and Eve, they got to enjoy God without limitations, without barriers, without anything in the way between them and God. They knew God in a way that was unique. They spent time with him face to face in the garden. There was no separation, just closeness. But if you know the story, flip ahead to Genesis chapter 3, and what happens is Adam and Eve listen to a serpent. This is the embodiment of evil, an instrument in Satan's hands, the evil one, who's opposed to God. They listen to the serpent's take on things, and they bought the lie that you can find life apart from God. They did the one thing God said not to do, and they tried to find life on their own. And when God came looking for them, the guilt and the shame were too much for them. So they hid. They hid from the one who was their home. And the result has been far-reaching and tragic. Genesis 3 verse 23 says it like this, So the Lord God banished him, speaking of Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Human rebellion cost humans their home. We used to enjoy God in a close and personal way, but now there's this distance between us and God, a separation that has been caused by sin. We used to enjoy life to the full, but now we're cut off from the source of life. And ever since then, humans have been haunted by this place that we were made for, but was lost. That's the starting point, the opening chapters of the story that you and I find ourselves in. And so that restlessness you feel, that sense of dislocation or the feeling like you're wandering about trying to find a home, it's there because you're longing for a home that you once had but have lost. And out of this, two things become very real for for you and for me. The first is this, is we look for what we lost. See, we can't help it, but we do. The, the longing we have that's deep within us, that's embedded in who we are, to get back to the place that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden propels us to try and find that place in the world around us. It's a quest we're all on. It's a search that we've all undertaken. We may not associate it with what happened in the garden, with a longing for God, for a longing for a place called Eden, but it's there. It's lying deep within us, and it's the source of all our actions and efforts and the quests that we were going on. See, we were made for God in a life with Him. And yet we look to the world around us to try and find that life that we lost when we were separated from 
the garden. Now, of course, this isn't the, the story that culture is telling us. It's, see, the culture tells us this story that this world is all that there is. There's nothing beyond the material universe. There's no transcendent being or realm who lives outside and operates in this world. See, the, see the, the story culture is telling us that everything you and I need can be found within this world and what it offers. Philosopher Charles, Charles Taylor calls this an imminent frame worldview. It's a worldview that attempts to remove the divine and bring all of life into a closed this world system. Taylor says this is one of the dominant worldviews in our cultural moment, but he says there's a problem with it. And the problem is, is that our culture cannot escape the sense of the divine, that we're actually haunted by the transcendent. And no matter how hard we try, we just can't shake this feeling that there's something more than this. See, I know this feeling all too well. See, until I met Jesus in my, in, in my mid-20s, I had decided to run my own life and to find meaning and significance and purpose outside of God. And I thought that I had found that in a sport. See, for me, hockey became the vehicle to the best life. And even though I reached great heights in the sport and played professional hockey for a few years, the reality was I still felt so empty inside. There was this hollowness within me and that no amount of performance and no amount of success could fill. And it left me wondering, is this all there is? Is there something out there that can fill up this empty place inside of me? And if there is, how do I tap into it? How do I get connected? Where can I find it? And for me, questions like these set me on a search that ultimately led to Jesus. And when I met Jesus, I found the one who was my home. I found the one I had been looking for all along, but I didn't even know it. I realized after time walking with Jesus that I could find a lot of great things in the world, but they were all fleeting. They couldn't meet what my soul demanded. Only Jesus could do that. And maybe today you're here and you feel similar. Like there's this restlessness that just won't be put to rest within you. There's this ache that you just can't seem to answer. You've been looking for answers to it, to a rest that you can't find. You've been looking to people and popularity, but that hasn't worked. Maybe you've pursued success or money, the next best experience or the next sexual encounter, but all of it's been fleeting and it hasn't given you ultimately what you are looking for. You might have tried alcohol or drugs, but that hasn't done it either. You might have tried uh, something online, but that still leaves you wanting. There's just something missing in your life and it's the things you're looking to, 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 to fill that, to answer that, they're just not doing what you're asking them to do. Maybe that's your story today. And might I graciously tell you that the reason you're, you're asking something like that to carry that and it can't is because it was never meant to. It's gonna eventually let you down. And if that's the case, if nothing in this world has been able to give you what it is you've been searching for, let me ask you, could it be that there's something outside and beyond this world that can't? I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That strip it all down and when, when nothing in this world can ultimately satisfy, Lewis points us to this reality that maybe it's because we were made for another world and this is the story the Bible is telling. 
that you and I were made for another world. And those longings deep within us are for that world. They're longings for the garden, for God, for heaven, and for the place that Moses is on the top of the mountain. It's the place that we were meant for, but was lost because of sin. And so to be human is to carry this longing within us for the eternal, for a home that we've lost, but we desperately want to find again. And the reason that it's there is because of our history, tracing it all the way back to the garden, but it's also because God actually put it there. One of the books of the Bible called Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the human heart. So no matter how hard we try, we can't shake it, we can't ignore it, we can't outrun it. Deep within the human heart is this yearning for the eternal, for God, for heaven, for the home we had but was lost. We want to be in the place that Moses is. But the hard reality is that we can't make it there on our own, which leads us to the second thing, which is this, is that we need someone to bring us home. See, this is where we come to good news because ever since that tragic moment in the garden when sin entered the world and fractured everything, God has been at work to bring us back. See, the story of the Bible is one where God is at work in history to bring us back out of exile and to the home we lost because of sin. See, in Genesis, human disobedience separated us from the garden. It separated us from the place of God's presence and the source of life. But in the shadow of that horrible moment, God promised to do something about it. And the rest of the story of the Bible, everything from Genesis to the prophets and to Jesus, all of it is God working to bring us home, to be with him once again. And so exile, separation from our true home, is not the end of the human story. And so Exodus 24 opens this up to us. It, it brings us into the reality that we were made to be in the presence of God. And then what happens in Exodus, 12, re, Exodus 25 really drives that home for us. So let's turn there now and pick up the story in Exodus in verse 1, where it says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So this meeting place called the tabernacle is now the focal point from here on out in Exodus and its importance is contained in this story from, from Exodus 25. In fact, this meeting place has redemptive significance for the story that God is writing in history. Or put another way, is that human rebellion cost us our home, but God is at work to bring us home again. And the tabernacle, this meeting place, plays a key part in the journey to get there. And the key is what God says in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. And so why does God want to build this meeting place? Why does he go to his people and say, Can you build me this meeting place? The answer is twofold. The first of which is this. The tabernacle is a home for God on earth. See, right from the beginning, 
beginning. God has wanted to be with his people. We saw it in Genesis and we see it here once again. God wants to be with his people, but this time it's not a garden. This time God chooses a tent, a meeting place in the desert where he can live and his people can worship him. It's a sanctuary or a holy place, a place set apart for the presence of God and the worship of God. And it's a place, if you notice, God says, I want to live. It's a place that God says, I want to call home. Now, God doesn't need a place like this in order to dwell somewhere, but it's a place that he wants to dwell. It's his desire to be among his people. It's always been a part of his plan. Reach back to Genesis and then look all the way ahead to the last book of the Bible called Revelation. And that's what you see is that God has a hunger and a desire to be with his people. The garden shows us this. God's response to what happened in the garden shows us this. And now the tabernacle and God's words in verse 8 show us this, that even though human rebellion has cost us our home, God is at work and he wants to bring us back home again. And from this point on, there's a shift in how God is going to be with his people. He's going to be with his people in a way that he's never been with them before. And spoiler alert, this is also going to prepare us for what comes later in the story. But here, God asks his people to make a home for him, and he says it's going to happen through generosity. See, God doesn't force his people to give. He invites them to give. It's not a command, but an offer from God. He says, I want you to partner with me to build this meeting place. If your heart stirs you, if it prompts you to give and you want to contribute, please give. And here's what I need. And so he lays out all these things that he's going to need to build this tabernacle. So generosity is going to build this place. That's the starting point. But then God also gives Moses a pattern for what this home is going to look like. In other words, he gives Moses the blueprint to build the building, to build the meeting place. And if you go through Exodus 25, 10 to Exodus 30, 38, it's going to lay out all the different pieces and parts of what is going to be within this tabernacle. And it's fascinating because everything in the tabernacle has its place and has its purpose, which is a hint that there's so much more going on here. First, you see there's the ark. It's a chest to hold the Ten Commandments. It's a sign and symbol of God's presence. It's the only thing in the most holy place of the tabernacle. In that place, there, God is going to actually come and meet with his people and speak with them. That is the place where God is going to dwell. In this place, God would live, be present to his people and meet with them. And then just outside of that, you have the holy place. And there God said, put a table and a lampstand. On the table, the priests were to put bread in the presence of God and a lampstand to give light to the priests while in the tent and to the people of God as they gathered around this tent. They could see this light shining in the darkness at nighttime, reminding them that God was at home and he was among his people. In that place, too, there was the altar of burnt offering, and here sacrifices would be made to atone for sin. Animals would be brought as a substitute and offered to God for the forgiveness of sin for his people. And in this way, God is teaching his people about the principle of salvation from sin, that something had to die in our place so that you and I could live. And so built into the DNA of God's people was this recognition that they needed someone to save them. 
And this ultimately looks ahead to the sacrifice of Jesus in our place, who paid the penalty for human sin, who broke the power of sin's hold on our lives and made a way for us to be in the presence of God. And so this little altar that was there and in the courtyard that was set up to create an environment of worship and sacrifice, it had a place in that tent, but more so a greater place in the vision of what God was going to do for his people. And so you have all of this, this tabernacle. It was a place for the worship of God who was present among his people because he had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. Everything had a place and a purpose in God's home. It was a physical building that could be packed up and brought everywhere God's people were. But more than that, Here's the second thing. The tabernacle pointed to a greater reality. See, we already hinted about it, but in a book of the Bible called Hebrews, it makes it clear that there's something more going on in what in the building of this tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 8, it says this, talking about the priests. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so here the curtain is pulled back and we see the bigger picture of what is going on here. See this earthly home for God in which the priests serve and people looked at was patterned after heaven. It was an earthly image of God's home in heaven. In other words, the tabernacle is an earthly representation of a heavenly reality. This was more than a building. It was a, it was a copy and a shadow of heaven, the place where God lives. And so the tabernacle is more than a building. It was a piece of holy ground in the middle of a lost and hurting world. It was a place where heaven and earth met. And in this, God was preparing his people for a time when he would live among them, not just temporarily, but forever. So there's this future orientation to this tabernacle then. And fast forward to, to the New Testament, the part of the Bible called the New Testament, and we get to see this when Jesus shows up on earth. See, in one of the New Testament books called John, we read this in John chapter 1. The Word, talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the tabernacle didn't just point to heaven, it pointed to Jesus too. See, that's where John takes us in the verse we just read, that in Jesus, God was communicating to us about who he is and what he's like, that Jesus was God and he left heaven behind and he became human and he gives us the clearest picture of the kind of God that we have. And when Jesus came to earth, he came to live among us. God came to literally tabernacle among us in the person of Jesus. Now, instead of God being hidden away in a tent and hiding and kept separate from people from the most holy place, the glory of God is now present in Jesus and is walking on the very earth that he created. He can be seen, he can be touched, he can be heard. God is with us in Jesus in a way that he has never been before. And why did God do that? John tells us that he came to show us who God is and he came to save us from everything that separates us from God. And so Jesus is the new and greater tabernacle. In other words, Jesus fulfills God's purpose in having the tabernacle built in Exodus. He came to bring us 
home. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, he really bridges this connection beautifully for us. And it's a long quote, but I'm going to read it at length because it really brings all these pieces together. Listen to what he says. The interior journey of the soul from the wilds of sin into the enjoyed presence of God is beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament tabernacle. The returning sinner first entered the outer court where he offered a blood sacrifice on the brazen altar. That's the altar of burnt offering and washed himself in a laver that stood near it. Then he passed through a veil into the holy place where no natural light could come. But the golden candlestick, which spoke of Jesus, the light of the world, threw its soft glow over all. There also was the shewbread to tell of Jesus, the bread of life, and the altar of incense, a figure of unceasing prayer. Though the worshiper had enjoyed so much, still he had not entered the presence of God. Another veil separated from the Holy of Holies where above the mercy seat dwelt the very God himself in awful and glorious manifestation. While the tabernacle stood, only the high priest could enter there, and that but once a year, with blood which he offered for his sins and the sins of his people. It was this last veil which was rent when our Lord gave up the ghost, his Holy Spirit the Spirit, excuse me, on Calvary. And the sacred writer explains that this rending of the veil opened the way for every worshiper in the world to come by the new and living way into the divine presence. See, because of Jesus, every single person, every single person in the entire world is able to enjoy the presence of God both here and now and in the future and in the end. That's why God built the tabernacle. It's why he came in the person of Jesus is because God wants to be with his people. He created with that in mind. He acted in response to human rebellion with that in mind. He came in Jesus with that in mind and he's gonna wrap up all things at the end of history with that in mind. This meeting place that culminated in Jesus was a step towards the restoration and the setting right of all that had gone wrong. It was launched in Jesus and it was going to be completed when a new heaven and a new earth come and we can live with God face to face forever. It's a moment the last book of the Bible describes like this. John, he has this vision and this is what he sees. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is where history is headed. God will finish his work to bring us home again and we will enjoy him face to face forever in a new heavens and a new earth. And this future, is foreshadowed all the way back in Exodus as God tells Moses, go and build it according to the pattern I show you. And this is why the, this, this meeting place, this moment in the story of Exodus has meaning for you and for me because it taps into that longing for the home we had but was lost. It draws us towards Jesus, God with us, and what he did for us to make a way for us to find that home again. And it stirs our hunger, reminding us that we have a future home with God that is better than anything we could imagine. Like God's people, you and I, we're on a, our way to our future home. Jesus is leading his people there. But until that, get, that day, just think about this, God has made his home in us through faith in Jesus. 
See, when you and I put our faith in Jesus, when we trust in him, we lean our lives against Jesus, the God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and we become a temple and a dwelling place of God. I love what one of uh, Jesus' followers named Paul says in a letter to 1 Corinthians. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So God doesn't just have a future home waiting for us. That home is in us right here and right now as God dwells in us individually and as his church. And today you and I, we have a chance to enter into that for the very first time or to receive it once again that we were made to be with God. He is our home and he has done everything that needed to be done in order to bring us home to him and to give us a hope in the here and the now and in the future. Even to the point of dying, God did that so that we could experience it, so that through our faith in Jesus, the presence and power of God called the Holy Spirit could come and make his home in us. Jesus has made it possible in the here and now and in the future for us to experience home. And so if God is our home and Jesus has made a way for anyone to experience that, here is my question for you and for me today. What is holding us back from pressing into the presence of God? What is it that is keeping you from coming to the God who is so vastly wonderful, so beautiful, so amazing, so glorious that the only way we can describe him is he's a consuming fire? What's keeping you from pressing into the presence of God right now? Is it your job? Is it your schedule? Is it other interests? Whatever that is, ask God, what is keeping me from coming to the presence? You have given me the offer of yourself. What is holding me back from you? That's the first question. The second is, what is one way that I can enjoy the presence of God this week? What's one step that I can take to actually press into the beautiful presence of Jesus this week? It might be through your community group. It might be through prayer, or reading the Bible, or taking a walk in creation and going and uh, having a talk with a friend about what God's doing in your life. Whatever that looks like, what is it that you can do this week to enjoy the presence of God in a way that you haven't lately? And as you think about those questions and you wrestle with them, keep in mind that we all need a home. And that even though human rebellion cost us our home, in the garden, God has brought us home again in Jesus, and that offer is available for anyone who wants it. We were made for a place called Eden. We had a home, we lost it, but God has made a, made a way for us to come home again. Will you take that opportunity today? That's my question for you.